Welcome back to the Andrew Curtis Show. There's this line in Spider-Man that gets a lot of traction, a lot of airtime, a lot of parody, which is, with great power comes great responsibility. I have a podcast. I wouldn't say I have great power, but I have the power to talk about certain things and bring them to your attention. And over the last week, I decided that there was time for me to start doing a little more of that. It was prompted by a Facebook post, a post by a friend of mine talking about what has been happening to the farming community in South Africa for, I was to later discover, upwards of 20 years now. The stories are horrifying, absolutely horrifying. And I had a moment where I read this and I thought to myself, well, I can just store that away. Or I can use this as a moment to say, hey, this is something that's really happening. And I need to know more about it. You'll know that if you've listened to this podcast for a while, I really believe in the power of hearing people's stories and how much more connected that makes all of us. And the fact that we do have a shared responsibility to one another, not just to help and to build up, but also to protect. And there may well be a need for that coming in the not too distant future. Anyway, I reached out to say, look, is there somebody that I can speak to who could share their story, talk about what had happened for them in South Africa, going through this, what it, how it had affected their friends and family, and then of course how their lives had been affected after that point having moved to New Zealand. Well, it turns out I found just the two perfect people. So I want you to listen to this conversation now and I'm really eager to hear what you think of it once it's wrapped up. I am seated in a beautiful spot in Oriwa this afternoon um, and a, a meeting that came about inspired by a Facebook post. Um, we all see a lot of things on Facebook talking about what's going on in our lives and often it's just pictures of what people had for lunch and, uh, and those sorts of things. But a friend posted something a little while ago that caught my attention. Uh, and she was speaking of what has been happening in South Africa with the farmers there. And it has been nothing less than a modern day horror story. And I saw it and thought to myself, okay, I've now become aware of something that's happening in the world. And I have one of two responses I can make. Um, I can file it away and do nothing about it, or I can look to understand it and talk to people who've been through that. Uh, and so I reached out, and that is what has brought me now to the home of Martin and Leela Spies, who I'm joined by now. So um, thank you, first of all, for making the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. No, it's all good. <laughs> yes, no, it's a pleasure having you here. <laughs> so, um, look, you can start the story wherever you'd like, but I just thought my, my goal with today is to gain a bit of understanding about what what has been happening in South Africa, how that's affected you and your perspective on, on what's going on there. So um, where would you like to begin? Well, I, maybe where our history starts. Sure. Um, uh, I, I was born in the area of Harry Smith. In Harry Smith, uh, we were, I was the fifth generation that was born on the farm. In 1986, the then apartheid government, uh, the National Party, uh, went uh, and, and create or was part of their policy is to create homelands and they then took our land off us uh, compensated us very little for it we then had to move to a different farm and we bought a farm in the um, Fox Rist area and that was 1985 1986 and from there you know uh, we farmed and those you know during that time there but I quickly sort of realized that now, the, the 1994, the new um, ANC government took over. And just soon after that, that's when the noises started about 
um, land confiscation and, and land claims that was, was happening. So that was on, on the one side happening, and, and but also leading up to that point was sort of a 90, it's around about that time that the uh, farm murders started. There was quite a few murders that happened. And I know we came over to New Zealand in 1996. And just prior to that, lead up to coming to New Zealand, we had about seven incidences or fatal incidences in our area and in the bigger, bigger area where farmers were killed. And I remember one Sunday hearing people crying on the on the two-way radio, it's, it's 1996 is the time before mobile phones and mm. things like that, crying on the radio, two-way radios for help. But by the time any people arrived there, the wife, children, and the husband, everybody was killed. Mm. And, and oh, we had a specific incident that happened to us that I think sort of started to trigger us and say, well, is that part of us? This is what is this where we want to um, raise live? our children, and is this where we want mm. to raise our children? Now the incident happened. I can't tell you exactly which year, but it's right just before 1996. Sure. And um, these sort of telltale signs of what happens before farm attacks happened. Okay. Now one of the things is that they will try to. Um, stop the electricity or, or the power supply to the house. So one night I woke up <clears throat> of the telephone telephone that was saying ping, picked up the phone and it was dead. Tried to switch on the light, there was no light. And I realized, you know, the two of the signs. And then a little bit later, the dog started to bark, but not bark for something. Mm. And, and we had dogs in South Africa more for protection it's also pets but it was also there to guard and they slept outside so and then these dogs started to chase to its one corner there was electric fence around the house and they were chasing to its one corner then coming back chasing come back barking barking and then suddenly going to another side of the fence during that time it's now that's all the signs that is there uh, prior to an attack that specific night, I remember I opened the curtains and for whatever reason, it was so dark that I couldn't see my hand hmm. from the inside, the front of the window. I couldn't see my hand through the window, you know, with hmm. the window in the background. It was so dark. It was really dark, maybe fog or whatever that came over that area. And um, we then took uh, our two daughters brought them, they were very small at that stage, maybe four and two years old, eh? mm. brought them over into our bedroom, got some guns out and then started to plan what would we do if the attacks now happen because uh, the farms where we lived, is, it's, not, it's not just next door that your neighbor lived. Mm. Even if isolated. Yeah. isolated. Your neighbor will take at least 30 minutes 25 to 30 minutes to get to you, even that it's just yeah. your neighbor. Yeah. It's more like Australian, mm. you know, farms. Uh, farms. Uh, it's big farms. Yeah. 
So Lulu, what were you feeling during all this? What was your I'm very anxious. Yeah. And and I was just thinking the whole time, what are we going to do with the children? You know, how are we going to run and protect ourselves and protect the children? Because we will have to leave the house with either the children on our back hmm. or on our hip. Hmm. And and um, Tinas was trying to kind of coach me thinking we were like brainstorming how are we going to do this mm. and um, and he would say you know we're going to go through if they come from this side we'll go through that door and um, you will run that direction and I will cover you and things like that but also with the knowledge that we still have the children with us which mm. was very little mm. and um, yes very very afraid. So you're sitting in the, and you start planning this this way, that way, that way, but you, you realize you're in a corner. You're really in a corner because whatever way, whatever you do, you've still got two kids with you. Yeah. And you, how do you get out of this? So the next morning, the sun came up. I think our nose is gone by that time. Mm. Nothing happened. Mm. And, um, but I think that was sort of us. We didn't, uh, we did phone uh, the telecommunication company and the power company to try to find out what was what happened mm -hmm. and we didn't get answers but for us that was sort of a reality check mm -hmm. you know seven murders just leading mm -hmm. up to it this is happening there and and um, that's when we started to look at maybe what mm -hmm. is our future and where do we want to to bring up our kids the other thing that I think um, I'm not exactly sure about that, but I think South Africa is the is the rape capital of the world. Mm. Most women, there's a lot of women that gets raped in uh, in South Africa. And um, we had two daughters. And we had yeah. two daughters, and what we wanted is that really what we want to do? We want to raise them. Yeah. And that's when we when we came over to New Zealand in 1996. Yes. Now you'd been, you mentioned you'd been, was it five generations? Yeah, five. And five generations you'd been farming to the end of the farm. Yeah. On the same farm. Yeah. So to then get to the point of saying, uh, not only am I going to leave farming, but I'm going to leave the country. Yeah. It was a very, very big and hard decision. Yeah. Tell me about it. Um, we, we spoke about it first. Um, we went to some seminars about New Zealand and kept on thinking kept kept on thinking we are leaving this idyllic lifestyle because it was a beautiful farm and it was an amazing lifestyle hmm. and even when we went back to south africa in december we went and showed the children and the freedom still if you go to these farms you cannot imagine you cannot even start imagining that these type of horrors occurs there hmm. because it's so peaceful it's so beautiful it is it, it is an idyllic lifestyle hmm. um, which we really really loved hmm. and not all the family was happy with us no yeah. a lot of our family took a very long time before they even spoke to us again wow because they they thought that we were traitors leaving wow. the country hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah. Some of them 18 years before they talked to us. Really? Yeah. Wow. And, and so for you though, I mean, what was the, you know, your personal feeling about that, Martin, when you were 
you, when you made that decision, like what was that? What was that moment? It is it's sad because for me, the family and the family history is still very, it's still very real. And I mean, you leaving something that where you belong, mm. you can you can go to the graves not just of mm. your fa- or your grandfather, your great grandfather, but mm. they're all there. Mm. The whole history is there. And 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 all our friends, it's it's small farming communities, and it's very very um, close. Yeah. Yeah. Very close and lovely people that we really love dearly. Mm. And, and everybody knows contact. everybody, yes. you know, everybody knew everybody. Mm. Mm. We yeah. still have contact with all of them and yes, it was extremely hard. Yeah. And to go from a farm right, right into the biggest city in New Zealand, like yeah. Auckland, yeah. we struggled. Yeah, <laughs> tell me, tell me about that. Like, what was the, what was that experience like? Yeah, no, we really, really struggled because we didn't have a lot of English at that stage. Oh, sure. Um, we had to go for classes uh-huh. to be, and we really struggled with the English in the beginning. Okay. Um, it's a lot better now. We still have the very, very <laughs> basic English. strong accents. <laughs> I think you're doing pretty well right now, to be honest. <laughs> Now, you didn't want to have this conversation with us 21 <laughs> years, years ago. 21 no. years ago, um, <laughs> it would, be a, would have been a struggle. And, yeah. and at that time, there was not a lot of other South Africans here oh, right, at yeah. that time. Yeah. I think it was the first kind of wave. chunk or wave of mm. South Africans that came to New Zealand. Mm. So the feeling amongst New Zealanders at that stage was still very negative. I was going to say, how, yeah, how were you received when um, that happened? When you came. Most of the time it was good, but we did get some people that were really anti-South Africans yeah. and saw us as very like um, racist, supremacist, white, arrogant. Right. Um, yes, mm. I think but I, I it was that type of... Mm. At the time we, we experienced it very negatively, but as we lived here, we also uh, discovered the history of New Zealand and what New Zealand went through, you know, after the, the rapid tour with the flower, mm. flower, uh, flower bombs. And we were, we're not so. even aware of that. Really? Yeah, we were aware about the flower bombs, but what the history behind it was. And oh, then sure. that New Zealand was then... Uh, Almost like torn apart. Apart. Yeah. And also the fact that uh, New Zealand couldn't um, participate in the Commonwealth, that the, 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 the mm. Commonwealth gave Commonwealth Games, the next uh, Commonwealth Games, made me realize that there was also a lot of history here and that you understand the negative vibe that we were experiencing. Mm. So it was just a matter of understanding where we are. Yeah. Yeah. And I must say, I think, yeah, there was, especially at work, there was sort of straight up hard, hard confrontations sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think from where I was sitting, I think the wave in New Zealand or that anti uh, sentiment sort of changed when Jonah Lomo married um, his first wife, who yeah. was Clay Nuns, and uh, Paul Holmes went over to, to South Africa and he brought back this whole series about the, the other side of the story. Mm. And I think it's sort of around yeah. about that time that the sentiment the negative sentiment against South Africans started to change, mm. and they and people start to understand. And I think both both groups started to understand each other. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So how did you start to then build those bridges with the the New Zealand community as well? I mean, when you were you know you were still in the middle of that and waiting for that change yeah. to happen. So 
to reach out yeah, to yeah. make friends. Yeah, and Rome does the Romans. Yeah. Yes, and and uh, no, we've got very lovely Kiwi friends, and and I think also to get involved with school and mm. the children in their school and meet other parents and. It's, it's it's much easier when you have small children to sure. get involved in the community. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Okay, so you'd made this change. You come here. Your your family were safe now, um, but the rest of your family and yes. the friends and family that you had grown up with and, and known each other for generations mm. are still in that environment. So so what was happening for them? What was what was going on? We had a lot of incidents. Um, the first incident was my uncle, but he was not a farmer, but he got attacked um, because he was kind of a debt collector and he went into an area where he had to go and do his work and got attacked and stoned. Okay. And they poured petrol over him and um, he was nearly killed. Wow. But because of the petrol, the coldness of the petrol in his face, he got by and then he just ran. He started what? running. He ran kilometers and kilometers because he was a really good rugby player. Okay. He was very fit at that stage yep. until he reached the nearest um, petrol station and got help yeah. from there. But that was our first really violent type of incident in our family that happened. Mm. And then after that, there was There's several incidents and yeah. around about uh, 2000. And eight, mm. I, I'm, I'm not the years maybe wrong. Sure. When my uncle got shot, mm. uh, and he was a farmer. He was a farmer. Mm. He opened the front door, and they started to shoot at him. And they shoot at him from a distance of about 75 to 80 meters. Okay. And um, got wounded. It took him about two two hours, two two and a half hours before he died. Wow. And and um, Yes, and they caught them. They caught the people, and and from what I understand, it's difficult to understand or know exactly everything. But what I understand is that they admitted that they didn't know him. They didn't know him, mm. and um, that uh, it, why would you do it? And exactly why? I'm not exactly sure. Did they get paid? Did they not get paid? I don't know why it was. Six months. What I do know is, six months later, um, they accidentally escaped, and a year later, there was no paperwork about the murder. There was no police case. There was no paperwork. There was no case. So at all. The, the people that did committed the murder got away. Hmm. Because that's been part of the. I mean, barring these these people who are who are actually committing these acts as well, um, the lack of. Uh, Justice yes. um, has been something that has I, I've seen people have been trying to bring attention to as well. So is that something you could speak more to as well? But the experience of those who've been through these kind of um, horrific ordeals, yeah, and and what's what what well, justice has has been done or hasn't been done? No, um, I, 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 if you look at the way, it's not killings. It's not people going out and kill people. They torture them. They are they burn them with. Um, with irons or they it's over a period of time maybe three or four hours killing people mm. and then and in several cases they use the bodies and 
put it on a driveway and put a steering wheel to the body or headlights mm. some and, and, and actually mm. mock the body. Now that's sort of killing there's a message. There must there is some sort of a message behind this. Mm. It's not just we kill you. They we it's unhumane, it's dehumanized it, people. Yes. I think it's more than murder. Hmm. It's it's a way of dehumanizing or instilling fear hmm. into hmm. populations because the, the murders happens over but some of them over a two day period hmm. where hmm. they slowly torture people to death. Yeah. And it is horrific. Yeah. And not to be indelicate, but these these are not just limited to the farmers. These include yeah. um, wives, children, mm. uh, grandparents, yes, um, entire families mm. Mm. at entire a time families. as well. Yeah, I don't mean these cases where they um, just um, took babies by their feet and just smashed their heads to a wall and things like that. It is just absolutely inhumane and very very cruel. Yeah. Or they, um, yeah, no, don't you don't even want to talk about it. It's sometimes yeah. just very hard to say it. Yeah, I met the guy here. I remember his name. I don't remember his surname. Hmm. His name was Steve, I think. Hmm. And sad stories. I mean, he, he and his family got um from from maybe groceries they went bought. I'm not exactly sure. They came back into the house. Um, people were waiting for them. His 17-year-old daughter at that stage, they grabbed her. He and his wife and the rest of his kids was kept at gunpoint. They raped her while she was screaming, cut her tongue out, and when they were finished, they cut her throat. Those people came here. When I met him, he and his wife was divorced, and they said the only thing is that why they got divorced is not, it's not a third party. They think they can't handle life. They can't cope with life. Now those people were here with very, very sad st so stories. There is several of them. I mean, we, I don't think we need to talk to all of them, but there mm. is sad, sad stories mm. of some South Africans that are here. Mm. Mm. And so for your, for your friends and family as well, mm. um, you, you know, you mentioned your uncle and, um, you know, how, how are they now? Like, what's the, because I imagine that level of stress <laughs> when you've been living under that for decades um how are they i i think people get desensitized yep. that's almost a feeling that i got in south africa or they don't have any other choice sure they they they're still living on the farms they're still <laughs> living they're trying to protect themselves as best they can mm. they put electric fences and things but there's not a lot that those those farmers can do to protect themselves because no. They still need to go to town. They still need to come back. They still need to go out on the farm to work their cattle. Hmm. There's so much opportunity to get to these people because you cannot protect yourself 100% of, of the time. You can't lock yourself hmm. away, hmm. you know, to be protected. So a lot of the time they're waiting for them because South Africans quite religious and they go to church on Sundays and mm. people know that mm. so they would wait for them when they come back from church mm. a lot of the farm murders is happening on a Sunday when people are returning from church and um, yeah it is, it is quite bad mm. there's just so much opportunity if you really want to do something to a farmer mm. I mean there's yeah 
yeah. very hard to protect yourself. Yeah. It's, uh, and it's not, it's not a race thing. I mean, it, 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 the violence is everywhere. Mm. It, it, it's not, yes, the farmers, I mean, per head of population is the, is the most dangerous job to do is to be a South African farmer. Mm. Yeah. The head of population, that is your biggest chance of getting killed. And that includes soldiers and, mm. and war. And, um, but it's not just limited to them. It's, it, it's, Violence it's a lot is vi and it's not, in South Africa. and it's not also, it's not just white people. It's everybody. Everybody's yeah. affected by it. Mm. And there's sort of, um, unwillingness or, um, a blind eye that almost looked like from the government, mm. not, not wanting to address these issues or, uh, yeah, I don't know. Mm. Lily, you want to say about that? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, you look like... Okay, so look, from from my perspective then too, it would be good. You, we, we mentioned before we actually started recording as well um, in terms of how um, the world is responding to these stories. Um, and as I said, from my perspective, to find out about this and to not speak about it is to ignore uh, something that makes us human, you know, to, to ignore suffering from anybody. Uh, but the response has not always been compassionate when these these stories have started to emerge from South Africa as well. And you spoke to that. Is, is that something you could yeah, share more on? I, I know. I think, um, you know, South Africa had apartheid. Uh, what was it? 1994, it was all over. That's now 25 years. Hmm. So that was an unjust system. That was not a system that was good. But now there's another system that's replaced it, which is... Uh, 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 that is really, really bad. Hmm. But but it's as if it's now more acceptable. Hmm. And it's maybe it's because South Africans fall in the same category as the I say Germans had a history, mm -hmm. and now we've got an history, so we deserve what what's coming to us. Hmm. Um, I don't know that what what level of deserve is there to, to start killing people in this way mm. and then to say okay it's all justifiable mm. because 25 years ago mm. people were oppressed mm. which was not right but now we're doing this if we change change the colors mm. change the regime would it still be acceptable yeah you know then, then, then <laughs> Is it only acceptable because it's Africa? It shouldn't be. It, nobody should be should be allowed to be at this level being killed and and not killed, mm. tortured mm. to death. I, I, that's what I feel. Mm. Certain uh, comparisons or um, projections, I suppose, have been made in terms of what happened with Rwanda. Uh, has that been? something that you've heard discussions on as well? Yeah, they're definitely talking about genocide. Yeah. Because um, it is such a small group in South Africa. Yeah. Um, I mean, South Africa's population, 55 million, I think. 50 million, between 50, 50 and 55 million. Yeah. Million, and yeah. I don't think the farmers even are a million. Yeah. Do you think? I no, don't know. I don't know. No, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it won't be. Sure. No, 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 it won't be. No, it won't be. Yeah. And, and uh, if you look at statistics of how many per week, just last week, they say seven. 
last mm. weekend. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And over this period of time since after the elections till now, how many? I don't know. A lot. A lot. Mm. Well, it kind of speaks to, you know, when it, when it stops being something you can keep a tally of. Mm. Yeah. You, you know? I, th I think if we start making, making figures. Uh, that's why I want to avoid it. Sure. Because yeah. then we, we're putting a figure out there and then, and then we find to be wrong. Yeah. And then, and then somebody say, well, I, I think it, just looking at the statistics, I know for a fact that even, that is a fact, even in the best days, or the best days, the worst days of Iraq war, where a lot of civilians were killed, at the peak of that war, they didn't get to the number of people getting killed in South Africa. Mm. And this is and not a, just in terms of farms year. as well. We're no, no, it's, a, yeah. it's in a yeah. year. Yeah. The, the annual killings in a year. And they didn't even get to that. And it was, South Africa was still higher than that over, mm. a, over that same time, time period. Mm. And yes, it did come down a little bit, mm. but it, it's not. It, it's still horrendous. So what, what can be done? Can anything be done? I think the things that can that stop you know it doesn't help if your prime minister goes out and say uh what did you say brothers um mm. don't vent your anger to each other vent your anger to the white people that sort of um hate speech, hate mm. speech coming from the politicians actually could we sorry to jump in on that point but i think that's for anyone who hasn't followed politics in south africa mm. for the last few years in particular um those would be aware of Nelson Mandela and, and uh, that change in the sense of hope and things that mm. was around when that happened. But in recent years, um, the tone has shifted. That's a yeah. euphemism if, mm. if there was one. Um, so is, is that something you could speak to for a moment, just in terms of the messages that are coming from the South African government as well, particularly towards um, mm. the white population in general and, and farmers and such too? I, I know I don't know the names. I know there was a minister, a minister that recently came out, uh, one of the ministers, ANC ministers came out and, and she said, well, colonialism wasn't all bad in South Africa. And she almost lost her job. Hmm. That the next week, one of the ministers said that all white people are animals. And no, there was nothing, hmm. nothing. That sort of um, speech in public, coming from hmm. from a government, is is, uh, is, is 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 doing it. I mean, it's, it's such a it's a country with such so much potential. Hmm. But if your government is mm. sort of... And so uh, many lovely people. And mm. so many lovely people. It mm. is. But there will be a percentage. And it's not all of them. There will be a percentage that listens to this. Sure. And is radical. And, and, and as we see also with other parts of the world like ISIS, the radical part doesn't need to be big. Right. To, to yeah. have a massive influence still. Mm. Mm. So I'd speech. It's, it's not helping in South Africa. Mm. There's definitely, it's definitely a thing that is, that needs to be addressed, and it sh should start from the top. Mm. And if it's not addressed or recognised, these murders has never been talked about in South Africa. They they don't acknowledge it. They don't think it's an issue. Yeah. If if they don't think it's an issue, and they even make statements like you know, uh, it's actually racist um, comments, but then also in the same language. <laughs> They have created this uh, public um, perception that black people can't be racist. I don't say it's all, but th mm. there is sort of that 
there is that radical element that believes that Mm. and it comes from the top it it has to be addressed from the top Mm. Mm. so when you look at um you know a country that's clearly hurting as well um kind of on both sides as well is there anything that you're hopeful for i i really hope that there will be a a total reconciliation Mm. and that there will be a leader one day in in South Africa that's just. Hmm. And how have you, in terms of that reconciliation for yourselves as well? Can you know have, have you brought that about in your own lives, or uh, you know even in terms of looking back to this place that is still, I guess, your home? Hmm. Um, you know, how do you? I guess I say make peace is probably the wrong word to to use. Uh, but make peace with either what's going on or what's you know what you can do to, you know, see any change happen. I, I don't have any hate to me. I don't have... Yeah. I, I don't feel... I've moved on. And I think... When how, you, how were you able to do that? I think it's trying to understand. Try mm. to understand. The same way when we arrived here in New Zealand and try to understand why there was a negative sentiment against South Africans. Why? Exactly why? What was the impact? What? And it's like you were saying, like, listening. Just listening to people listen to people as they have experienced maybe apartheid or how they experienced um, everything and try to understand mm-hmm. and see where they are coming from mm. and that's why i'm saying if south africa can get a leader that is just and that listens to everybody i think it will make the whole difference mm. And that where there's like positive messages coming from the top, um, getting reinforced on a daily basis, and and just say this is not acceptable. So that will give hope. Yeah. At the moment, it is almost hopeless. Mm. Because the yeah. Yeah, it is. So very hard. What would you hope for somebody listening to this right now who was perhaps unaware? Um, and we talked about the power of, of being able to listen and is there any one particular thing that you would like them to understand imagining you had um, you know somebody standing in front of you right now who had heard about these things for the first time and you wanted to communicate so that they could understand what your experience has been like or what the experiences of people who are still living in that day to day is there anything you'd say to them yeah I think uh, I think to understand it I mean if you look at New Zealand, I mean, we, 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 we have got Maori, Pākehā and, and different groups and, and, and you understand that and you, you also even understand the radical mm. element within on both sides or wherever they are, you, you can understand that a little bit but it's still, the spectrum is still very narrow. Mm. Mm. When you go into Africa, maybe there is a much bigger... Um, scale of difference mm. between Africa and maybe European and mm. but it's the way how we deal with it is do we understand it do we know where each one's coming from mm. and I think I think just being yeah listening and understanding and being a bit tolerant mm. will make a difference what is your perspective on race relations in New Zealand as a as a somebody coming from a um, third person perspective being able to observe I guess without I, I know I would have blinkers about how things are in New Zealand and I think a lot of the time uh, as a European New Zealander we look to other parts of the world and say well at least we're not like dot 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 um, 
what is what is your perspective? Is there anything too that you can see in terms of either things that you look for look towards as being uh, hopeful for South Africa or warning signs that you think um, we should be aware of here too? I don't think there's warning signs. Yeah. I, I think what we can do. I mean, I was 21 when I learned a new language. Yeah. I was uh, where I was brought up. It was Sutu. Mm-hmm. And when we moved to its Fox Rist, it was Zulu. So I was 21 when I learned another language. Mm. Um, we're a bit in New Zealand, and if I say we, because I, I see myself as a New Zealander now, my, yeah. my kids is also married to New Zealanders, so we're part of New Zealand, mm-hmm. except for our accents. <laughs> <laughs> as to, um, as that I think we can bit, bit, be a bit more tolerant to its language. Um, especially the Maori language, mm, and, and incorporate it a bit more. Cool. Yeah, I. It's a I'll, free gift. It's a free gift. And it's it is, it is indigenous of New Zealand. Yeah, it and it makes you uni- New Zealand unique. I mean, yeah. we we use some of it. We use the, we use the haka. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so when it suits, we we use it. But but <laughs> yeah. it, it is actually part of New Zealand. So. Or maybe uh, just incorporate it in schools and yeah. teach the children yeah. how to speak the language. Yeah. I know a lot of people say that, it's well, you can't use it anywhere else in the world, but mm. that's not the point. Yeah, It's also, you, I could have said the same, and well, it's no point to learn Zulu. Yeah. You know, or where, Sutu, where or else wherever you want. Where else am I going to? Where else am I going to use it? Yeah. That's an awesome perspective. I really like that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but we we we've heard very negative comments, and it's almost like New Zealanders don't want to go there. Yeah, yeah. and I'm, I'm sometimes I'm wondering why. Yeah, why why is it that they are negative about that and mm. they don't want to embrace it? Mm. Because it's 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 something so part of New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. It's all that I. Yeah, that's what I think. Nice. No, I really like that. That's cool. That's very cool. Well, look, I think we've we've covered um, and and more all all that I hoped with with today as well. But look, is there any any other thoughts, kind of closing thoughts you'd like to share with anyone listening right now in terms of maybe even how they could respond now, being aware of this? Is there is there anything that we as New Zealanders can do? Or um... I I would say we we just need to be aware of this. And the thing is, what could happen? Africa is Africa. Yeah. Africa might not turn. Hmm. Zimbabweans, the old British. Zimbabweans that was in, in, in Rhodesia at that stage mm. they had somewhere to go mm. South Africa has got nowhere to go yeah if Africa goes with the way it goes and it then we will need to think at some stage as the first world countries maybe to take some of these people in mm. it's not there yet yeah but as long as we're aware of it we can't wait until Rwanda and 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 it go to that that sort of length and there's no no escape I don't mm. know mm-hmm. because it's our f- friends and uh, our family which we are dearly loving mm. and some most of those people don't have a choice they and they can't they don't have points that they, they mm. would love to come to, uh, New to do New Zealand or to any other part of the country but mm. they they can't mm. they stuck there I was actually speaking to a friend earlier this morning who was just retelling her story as well. Of her. She has elderly parents, uh, again, living in, in um, rural South Africa as well. No. And same thing, can't, can't bring them here no. um, just, just for, those, for those very reasons. So, yeah, it may well be the thing where we're looking to open up our borders in the future. I hope we're prepared to do that. 
Yeah. Yeah, because they don't have they don't have options. No. There's no nowhere to go. Hmm. And and most of these families, like our family, came in the eighteen and the seventeen hundreds hmm. to South Africa hmm. from um, Germany and from France, France and from the Netherlands. Hmm. And um, if you kind of look back, as that's where they might be able to go back to. Okay. But I don't. I, I think. I don't know. It's a long, it's a long history. You know, my family starts 1745 mm. in South Africa. Mm. I think Lilla's family starts earlier mm. than that in South Africa. Mm. So it's a long time ago. But so they, we don't belong other place than South Africa. So where do we go? Where did, if it keeps on going and it and it is a race racist issue. Yeah. And the race hate is quite. Mm. It is a it's a hate between mm. races what, what do we do just allow it to happen mm. just keep on you know mm. it, it's not good and or, just an, or just an accident of, of which side of a line you were born on and uh, mm. what what color your skin happens life to be life is so strange eh? yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's all but, but seeing that it's also not just that yeah the, 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 it affects everybody in South Africa yeah it, yeah, yeah it affects everybody rapes murders amongst Black communities is as rampant, so, and violence is very, very real in those communities, yeah. and people are are suffering. Mm. Mm. So it's not just the one side, yeah. but our family is our, our family, you know. So so we will be blood is thicker than water, but it's not just us. It's not just mm. Europeans. It's, it's 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 a sad story in South Africa. Yeah. It's a sad sad story. The hope. That was there 21 years, oh, well, 25 years ago of, of this democracy that was going to take over and it's going to be really nice. And it was actually in a, the economy, everything was in a, in a good spot. Mm. Uh, uh, and, and, and the people that was actually um, running the system actually handed it over and said, okay, let's go for, go for it together. Mm. Now it's, it's falling apart a little bit. Mm. Well, I'm very grateful for you guys taking the time to help me understand. And I, and I hope for those who have listened as well that this has been enlightening for them. And as you mentioned, I mean, um, our responsibilities to one another, um, being aware of these sorts of things, I think is a, is a key test of our humanity. Um, like you've mentioned, you know, wrongs and things have gone on in the past as well, but whether or not we prepare to ignore those things or potentially open our doors, I think, even more and more in future as well. Mm. Um, I mean, I know New Zealand's very much richer for having people like you here as well. So I'm just grateful for you taking the time to tell me. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Two of the loveliest people you will ever meet. And you might be wondering at this point, what do I do with this information? For me, I would first commend you for listening to this because with everything that's happening in the world today, one of our responses can be to be overwhelmed. And that's not what I want. What I do want is for us to just, first of all, to be aware, to hear this story. And Martin's approach in this too was so inspiring from my perspective. The fact that he could say, you know, I don't, I don't have any hate towards anybody. And I've learned how much understanding makes a difference. Well, now you've got a little more understanding yourself. When you meet with people who have experienced this sort of thing, my hope is that this will create a platform for a more meaningful connection because really... Things like race and nationality, they're things that we've constructed. 
where you were born on what side of a line shouldn't make a difference in terms of how well I treat you, what color your skin happens to be. And as Martin pointed out as well, yeah, look, there have been some legitimate historical factors going on there, but we've got to be greater than that. So that's where I want to leave it. I would love to hear your feedback. You can send it through to me uh, via the Andrew Curtis Show at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. (laughs) 